0: And to Junior, I leave nothing. As a minister, I've, uh, I've had some unusual situations, but that one took the the cake. I, I just preached a funeral for a guy, uh, that was from our community. Now, now he didn't come to church nor any of his eight children were, none of them were involved in our church, but, but there was a cousin, uh, in law that was a, Faithful member of our church, and out of respect for her and 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 to help the family, we had a funeral dinner for that family. So so it was after the the funeral meal was kind of winding down, and the funeral director came up to me and handed me an envelope, and he said, "This is this is the will, and they want you to read it." Now, I think actually he wanted the funeral guy to read it, and he passed it on to me. So so I went upstairs. Uh, I went upstairs uh into the office and his uh, uh, eight adult children gathered around me and sat uh, as I gathered some chairs set around me and I opened the envelope and began to read the handwritten will. Now you, you got to know something about this guy. This guy didn't have anything. He uh hard worker, a good man uh but didn't have a, a dime to his name. Didn't have any houses, no land, no money and just a uh, handful of possessions and as I began to read the will he he began to parse out his meager uh, belongings to his children he, to, to, to his daughter he gave a couch and to one of his sons uh, I, I, I will you my favorite pocket knife and and this continued on down from child to child to child to child till we got to that line and I read it and to junior I leave nothing I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting that. I hadn't had a chance to pre-read that, but I, I wasn't expecting that line. And and I'll just be honest with you, neither was Junior. Uh, in fact, I got that impression because Junior said a couple words that I'm pretty sure had never been spoken in that office, and I'm guessing had never been spoken in the church. Uh, he stood up, stomped out, slammed the door, and uh, left. He He wasn't expecting that. Now, I don't know what he was expecting. Maybe, maybe he thought Dad was going to give him a, a fishing rod or a, or a pair of boots or something because this guy didn't have anything, but he certainly wasn't expecting that. Sometimes sometimes we hear things that we're not expecting. In fact, even in the Bible, we hear things that are are out of the ordinary that that we don't expect, and certainly those that heard it for the first time for instance, the, the letter of Ephesians, when it was written, that they wouldn't uh, have expected. I can only imagine uh, as the church at Ephesus gathered uh, that Sunday morning, word had already spread throughout the city to all the believers that they had received a letter from Paul. The, the apostle Paul had had sent a letter that was going to offer instruction and encouragement to them. And And I imagine as they gathered for that first time, that first reading of this letter, that the place was packed, every believer in Ephesus, and maybe even some of the surrounding churches had gathered there to hear what paul said and and as Paul started out his letter, things looked really good in fact, I think they probably probably were excited because this is what Paul says at the start of his letter first line Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus and the faithful in christ jesus i'm sure I'm sure their 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 uh, chest kind of swelled out with pride they it put a smile on their face and there was kind of a warm glow that just that just permeated the church as 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 they read that but but when they got a little deeper into the letter and paul had, had passed on some important stuff and some some things that were challenging as well but but they got to chapter 5 and paul gave them a series of directives that i don't think they were expecting started off he he, he said something to the church as a whole and then he then he gave a directive to wives and then he gave a directive to husbands and and we're not going to look at uh further on today but but the next is a directive to children and then he gives a directive to to slaves. Uh and I don't think any of them were expecting what he said. Verse twenty one he says to to the whole church, submit to one another. Man, the whole church wasn't expecting that. Verse twenty two he said, Wives submit to your husband. In verse twenty five, husbands love your wife. He He literally, though, with those statements, placed every member of the church. We talked about this a little bit last week. He placed every member of the church on equal footing. The the most powerful and influential person in the church at Ephesus and the one that had no power and and no influence at all were lifted to the same place. Uh, Submit to one another. Last week, we we talked about uh, the the first part of uh, of the text that we'll look at today in Ephesians chapter five, where Paul tells women that they are to submit to their husband. Now now the reality is we might look at that and some through the years through through uh, through the decades have looked at that and thought that somehow Paul was uh, somehow belittling or bemeaning women, but in reality, he was lifting them up to a, a, a standard of equalness with their husbands, but in a strange twist. Now, I didn't talk about this last week. I'm just going to toss it out there. I'm not going to really develop this at all. But in kind of a strange twist, in verse 21, when he says, submit to one another, he actually was telling, uh, ladies, you can lose the, use this with your husband, he was actually telling husbands to also submit to their wives because as believers, they were submit. To one another, they weren't expecting that. And now, and now he speaks to husbands in in the most pure sacrificial way possible. They were told to love their wives just like Jesus loved the church. I, I'm pretty sure they weren't expecting that. Uh, last week we started this sermon: two keys to a godly marriage, uh, uh, and, and we looked at at the key that the wife has now. Now, I pointed out a couple things. First of all, access access to the treasure of, of a godly marriage is only going to be granted uh, when both keys are working in unison. And and the second thing we need to always understand and realize is that one of the things we we have to, to accept is that we can only control our key. So, so I have nothing to do with controlling the key that my wife was given. I just have to worry about my key. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. To Hebrews chapter five, we're going to look at verses 22 to 28, uh, finishing uh, what we talked about with the the wives last week. Moving on to husbands today. Verse 22: Wives, submit to your husbands as, or submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit. To their husbands in everything now, let me just add just a, a thought here in case you weren't here last week that that has nothing about position that has nothing about a wife uh, Bobby Carey, you want to come back no i won 't make him do it again uh, but that that's not the wife putting herself below way below or even just a little bit below her husband, but instead on equal footing with with the husband's arms open wide for the wife to trust and accept and find protection in. That's what submission is. Verse 25. Now, guys, listen up. Ladies, make sure as we fill out, you guys fill out these uh, these uh, uh, forms in your bulletin to, to make sure your husband sees this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy and cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or... Or wrinkled, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For all members, of, oh, I read a little too much. For all members of His body, uh, let me go ahead and just read the rest of the chapter. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two. Will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Uh, a, a submissive wife, we talked about last week, must be a servant, not to her husband, but a servant to her Savior. Uh, and and by doing that, you see the example and the motivation. Uh, she must also seek to make her husband soar, to lift him up. And encourage him, and sacrifice for a solution. So today, let's look at that second key, uh, that second key to a godly marriage: a loving husband will, a loving husband will. In Greco-Roman society, Skevington Wood, in his commentary, says this: In the Greco-Roman society, it was recognized that wives had obligations to their husbands, but not vice versa. In this, as in other respects, Christianity introduced a revolutionary approach to marriage that equalized the rights of wives and husbands and established the institution on a much firmer foundation than ever before. Nothing nothing makes that change more staggering than Paul's command to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. As shocking as it was for Paul to tell the the church to submit to one another, as shocking as it was for him to actually elevate women and tell them to submit to their husbands, he raises the bar so high when he says, we're called to love like Jesus. See, a loving husband, this makes sense, a loving husband will love his Lord. If we're going to love like Christ, if we're going to love like Christ, then we have to know Christ. It's interesting, as you read verses 25, really, into to the end of the chapter, it's interesting that Paul goes back and forth between talking about the husband-wife relationship and the Christ-church relationship easily transitioning back and forth between the two. In fact, he he kept doing it so much that in verse 32, he says this. He he felt like he needed to clarify. Verse 32, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. It was almost like, he well, maybe they're going to misunderstand and and lose track who I'm talking about. So I'm talking, the the phrase right above that, I'm talking about Christ in the church. But immediately he follows that up with the next verse and says, however, each of you also must love his wife, as he loves himself. This intertwining of the husband-wife relationship with the Christ church relationship at its heart has the implication that the husband would have understood and valued his relationship with Jesus. How better to understand what he needed to do as a husband than to understand what Christ had done for him. Are you catching that? That's... That's why he kept going back and forth. Husbands, you want to know what it's like to be a, a godly husband and love like Jesus? you, you, you got to know what Jesus did. Husbands, if you want a godly marriage, if you want to unlock the treasures and blessings God has for you, then the place you start, the first thing you do is love the Lord. Loving Christ will influence and affect every aspect of your relationship with your wife. Husbands, if there's something if there's something off in your marriage, if, if if there's something in your marriage that doesn't seem quite right, it just doesn't seem to be clicking on all cylinders, then the first place you look is your relationship with Christ. See, a loving husband will love his Lord. And a loving husband will lift up his lady. Carl Snidegrass, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this in In the ancient world, husbands had relatively few obligations beyond providing food and shelter. They were free to do as they pleased, whereas wives were obligated to do domestic chores and do whatever their husbands required. Paul's words changed this picture dramatically. It would have surprised them. Rather than being guided by self-interest, the husband is asked to place the well-being of his wife First, and give himself to caring for her. Now, there are a couple. There are a couple important keys to understand what he's talking about here. Uh, and here, here's the first one: we, we have to understand the meaning of the word. So, so he says, "Husbands love your wife." So, what's he? What's he talking about? What's that word "love" mean? What does that mean for us? So, we, we talked about this actually almost a year ago. Uh, I did a sermon on First Corinthians 13, and we talked about these words for love but let me let me uh, talk about them a, a little bit more again today Paul Paul could have used four different words when he said husbands love your wives he he could have chose to use uh, uh, the word eros eros is the word that it's not hard to figure out what we get from it in in our society uh, the the word erotic comes from eros eros uh, has as part of it. And it's not totally this, but has as part of it erotic feelings or or sexual feelings. And so, so what you feel uh, inside the, the natural rust to 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 be in a relationship with someone. What what can I get from that? Is eros. In fact, in in their culture, in the culture of Ephesians, uh, the church at Ephesus, th- they would have expected that that would be the word he would have used. Husbands, love your wives for what you can get out of it. But that's not the word he used. A better word, a better word, and it would have fit here, and it would have been good. And, and, and had he used this word, it would have been actually a uh, it would have been a little bit shocking to them. He could have used the word phileo. Phileo is the, the word that we use when we're talking about love between friends. So, so if you have a friend and, and maybe you, you visit with them or send them an email and at the end of it you say, "I love you," or a phone call and you say, "I love you," that, that relationship that you have with someone else someone that you share things in common with it's kind of a a two-way relationship that that is that was described by the word phileo it's a a a relationship word a friendship word for love in fact it works perfectly in marriage in fact we need phileo love in marriage if your wife is not your friend if your husband is not your friend you're you're going to you're going to struggle to find a happiness you, you need oh love, so so that would have been a great word, but that's not the word he uses. Another word that would have worked perfectly, probably would have understood. They would have like, oh yeah, that makes sense. He could have used the word Storgate Storge is the word for family. Uh, you you have uh, brothers and sisters, you have cousins, you have aunts and uncles, you have brother, or, or, or moms and dads. The love that you have for family it's is the word storge it's a strong love of connection connection through shared history and and oftentimes shared dna it's real it's powerful and it would have fit there we we all know what family love is we will knock down walls for our family he could have used that word and again that would have been raising the bar but that's not the word he uses instead he uses the Greek word agape. It, it's the same word. It's the same word that John used in his gospel. In John chapter three, verse sixteen, we know that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That word for love there is agape. Uh, in in the book of First John, interestingly enough, chapter three, verse sixteen, same ver- chapter verse. First uh, John three sixteen says this. This is how we know what love is agape is jesus christ laid down his life for us and later in that book first john four ten, this is love this is agape not that we agape not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins agape love is a selfless love a giving love a love of choice and purpose Agape love doesn't say, what can I get? What's going to be mine? That's what Eros says. In some ways, that, that's what Phileo says as well. It doesn't say, what can I get? It says, what can I give? Husbands, uh, uh, well, let me speak to wives here first. Uh, any wife here uh, ever have a husband that's had uh, what is known as the terrible man cold? Any any wives? Okay. Okay. I don't I don't know why you're laughing, that's a real thing. You don't know what it's like to almost be dead because your nose is running and you have a little headache. That I mean that is rough, but 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 you know when you have that man cold and you're like, honey, can you get me something to drink and we do and and, and so husbands when our wives take care of us, even though they might roll their eyes at us just a little bit, and I think the longer you've been married the more they roll their eyes. Forty-one years, I get a lot of eye rolling. But you know what my wife does? She still, most of the time, still takes care of me. <laughs> you know, if I sneeze a couple times and really, you know, lay it on thick. But what what is that? What what's she getting from that? Nothing. She's just giving. That's the God paid love. Kids, your your parents. You may not realize this, but let me let you in on a secret. You'll you'll realize this when when you're. Uh, Older, and you have your own kids. You'll look back and like, wow, I didn't realize this. But th- do you know this? Let me tell you this now: that your parents sacrifice for you all the time. They they get up and uh, early every day and go to work. They 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 work their 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 tails off for you. They sacrifice for you. They they go without things for themselves so that you can have whatever the fancy clothes are, whatever the popular tennis shoes are, that you can be involved in extracurricular stuff. They They sacrifice, not because they're getting anything from that. It's all giving. That is that is agape love. And that's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. That's the kind of love that he demonstrated by his life and death. That's the kind of love that Paul says, as husbands, we need to have for a wife. See, agape love doesn't leave any room for pettiness or pride or positioning or, and it certainly doesn't man, demand perfection. It doesn't leave room for judgment or jealousy or jousting. It doesn't leave room for bad attitudes or bad conduct or bad character. It gives not expecting or demanding anything in return. Husbands, just so you know, we don't have time to worry about how our wives are doing with their key because we have to concentrate on what we're doing with loving like Jesus. That will keep us busy. So so that's the the meaning of the word. But let's look, let's just kind of hone it in here. What's the practice of the word? What, What does that agape love in practice, what did that look like? Since we're to love like Jesus, what did that look like? Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, if there was any doubt what he meant, or any chance that we might misunderstand what he meant, Paul takes away all doubt by finishing that thought with, and gave himself up for her. Jesus died on the cross. How how did he show love? How did Jesus demonstrate love? Here's the first thing. That's an obvious one. He laid down his life. Who did he lay it down for? He he laid down his life for the people in the crowd the the ones that were shouting crucify him crucifying the ones that were spitting at him and throwing rocks at him and kicking at him as he went through the streets yelling crucify him, jesus laid down his life for them the, the the followers the apostles who who to who to the man turned their back and ran from jesus who denied they even knew him jesus laid down his life for them the thieves on the cross one on either side of him jesus laid his life down for them the roman soldiers mocking him jabbing him with a spear and, and taking his clothes and 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 gambling over who would get his robe jesus died for them and and he died for you and he died for me jesus jesus showed love how did he show that he literally laid down his life the second thing we can see jesus did uh, among many is he lifted others up. He, he was walking down the street one day, and and a crowd was gathered around him, uh, walking with him. And, and I'm sure as the 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 road traveled ahead, there were people lining the road as he approached. and, and he came around a bend, and there was a tree there, and up in the tree there sat a guy. Now you may know the story that that guy's a, a a person named Zacchaeus. We we know a couple things about Zacchaeus and. And, and we know that, that he was up in that tree really for two reasons. Number one, we know that he was short. We know that because of the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. So Zacchaeus was a short guy, so he was up in the tree so he could get a bird's eye, literally bird's eye view of Jesus. Probably his view was better than most others, but he was up there because he was short, but it's not the real reason he was in the tree. The real reason he was in the tree was because he was a tax collector. Had he tried to worm his way to the front of the line, had he tried to get up close where he could see Jesus or maybe reach out and touch him or or maybe holler a question to Jesus, because he was a tax collector, because they saw him as a turncoat, they would have elbowed him, and the fact that he was a wee little man wouldn't have helped. Uh, they would have elbowed him and pushed and shoved and made sure that Zacchaeus wasn't getting to the front of the line. But But Jesus saw him. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I just can't do this without hardly singing. Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house today. I, he, he said, Zacchaeus, come down, and you're going you're gonna to prepare a banquet for me. Now, that seems a little bit forward. seems like Jesus was being a little presumptuous. Hey, you come down now. Go feed me. But but actually, in their culture, Jesus was doing the, the greatest thing he could do to lift Zacchaeus up, to to show him personhood, to show him value, because letting him serve a meal was basically saying, you're my family. You're my brother. You're my friend. Uh, Jesus lifted him up. Jesus, Jesus talked talked gently to a woman caught in adultery. They came and threw her at Jesus' feet, and, and 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 they weren't really sure what Jesus was going to do. But he didn't do what they expected. Jesus could have could have turned the other way. Jesus could have could have mocked her. Jesus could have challenged her on the sin in her life and pointed out Jesus could have said, lady, you have worth, but you got to go straighten your life out first and then come back and I'm going to tell you how valuable. No, he, he knelt there and he talked to her with love and affection and gentleness. He lifted her up. When he spoke with the woman at the well uh, in Samaria who, who was gathering water, drawing water at noon because she didn't want to see any other people. But Jesus sat there, and he broke down wall after wall after wall to talk to her. He lifted others up. Husbands were called to lift up our wife. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives. Paul said it to that church as well. And, and then he has this little caveat, and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh. Lift them up. And Jesus looked for needs. When, when the leper came up to Jesus, and Jesus reached down and touched him. He wasn't just healing his body, but he's healing that man's soul as well. When he, when he healed the blind man in Jericho, Bartimaeus, when, when everyone else was telling him to shut up, to be quiet, leave Jesus alone, Jesus heard him and saw him and didn't just give him sight. He heard his personhood. And when he embraced the children as their mothers brought him to Jesus, He didn't just bless the children. He blessed their mothers as well. Jesus looked for needs. He lifted others up. He laid down his life. And and Jesus loved building relationships. He, He loved building relationships with other people. There are two keys to a godly marriage. We can only control one of them. Wives, your key is to submit to your husband just like the church submits to the Lord. Are are you willing to place yourself not below him but beside him, resting in his arms for protection and love? Husbands, your key is to love your wife. To do so not in a selfish way but in a selfless way, having Jesus as your example. How can I... How can I have a godly marriage? Figure out your key. Uh, yesterday, Reed and I were in Springfield. I, I asked, this was going to be the end of the sermon, but I've got another story. Reed and I were in Springfield. We went down Friday night, and we babysat our grandkids yesterday while Joel and Heidi could a t- attend a marriage conference. And and a couple of our grandkids had birthdays. Isabel had a birthday in January, and Isaiah has one coming up in March. And so we took them birthday shopping Um to the mall and in uh, a couple other places, and we're walking through the mall and looking for stuff. And Isabel uh, says, "Hey, I want to go in there. There, there was one of those—I um, don't know what the name of—but but basically it's one of those bulk candy stores. Have you guys seen those at malls before? Um, now you, you assume a bulk store, you're getting a good deal, right? I, I buy in bulk at Walmart. I buy, you know, sixty rows of toilet paper, and I get a great deal on it when you divide it out. But we went into this bulk candy store because Isabel wanted to go in and just get a sucker. Well, we walked in. I'm walking around just trying to keep Thomas from grabbing stuff, and, and I see some peanut brittle. I'm like, I love peanut brittle. And so I said something to Rita. I said, Rita, I'm going gonna, gonna to get some peanut brittle. No, I said, Rita, I'm going to buy some. I actually asked permission. Can I buy some peanut brittle? And uh, uh, so I went up, and the guy gave me a little bag. It wasn't just a little bag like that and a glove to put on. And I went over and I got some peanut brittle and then i I kind of felt a little bit obligated uh and and so each of the kids got their own little bag and Rita got her bag and and so we all just walked through that bulk candy store I filled peanut brittle and some caramels and and some peanut clusters and and uh i- I've got my bag and 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 isaiah's got uh, uh jelly beans and isabel's got all kinds of i didn't know there was uh uh, jelly strings, but she got jelly strings, and and Evelyn got some worms, and Thomas got some gummy bears, and and Rita I don't, she got some cherry sours or something. We we had all this candy. We go up and set it there, and, and Rita makes a comment. She's like, "This is going to cost a lot." <laughs> and and then she looks at me, she's like, $16. bucks." and I'm thinking, I was thinking about twenty or so, but the guy keeps ringing it up and ringing it up and ringing it up. When he gets to the total, he hits it, <laughs> seventy six dollars. I I actually weighed mine. Mine was a pound. It was $16 a pound. So 16 of it, 20 minutes in the car, I had $16 of candy eaten. That's all it took to, to eat the peanut brittle. And wow. What what I wanted to do was say, no, forget it. We're not going to buy it. But, but I'm looking at my grandkids, and they're holding gummy worms, and they've got... and 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 all of a sudden i I didn't care about the price. Now, I wasn't expecting the guy to say seventy six twenty six I've been a little steep, but you know i seventy six dollars <laughs> um, you know the real story that was unexpected, the real unexpected message in uh, in the book of Ephesians, and really in chapter five, the unexpected story. Was that Jesus paid the price? He he looked at us and thought, are, are they worth my blood? As I looked at my grandkids, are they worth $76? They were. One time we told them we're never going back to that store again. But one time you're worth $76. But but that's that was unexpected. Jesus would go to the cross, would die. For you, for me, for the thieves, for the turncoats, for, for the people that yelled crucify, Jesus would go to the cross. It's unexpected. Just like it's unexpected to elevate a wife to a position to say she has value and for a husband to be challenged with, with a high bar of loving like Jesus. Unexpected. But expected. Would you bow with me, Father? We pray this morning as we, as we consider our, our roles, as we consider our key. Lord, give us, uh, give us power and strength and uh, wisdom and encouragement to do what you've called us to do, to be what you've called us to be, Father. When when we love like we're supposed to, it it, it makes the wife of our job, uh, uh, the wife, the job of our wife so much easier. When when wives submit and love us back, Father. it it encourages husbands as well. Lord, help us concentrate on our key. And and most importantly, Father, help us realize that the real example, the real thing we were looking at there that, that shows us what it means is your son going to the cross and dying there, laying his life down, and then opening his arms to us saying, trust me, submit to me, let me protect you and encourage you. Father, help us Help us be godly men and women, godly husbands and wives, godly church members, godly children. Father, help us be like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.